My name is Dominique Drew, and this is The Art of Attraction, the premier podcast to elevate your relationships, your life, and yourself. I'm your host, Dominique Drew, an intuitive, a spiritual guide, and a seasoned expert in men's relationship coaching. I've used the methods in this podcast to completely transform my own life and relationships, and now, high performers in every industry hire me to help them do the same. Here, you will learn how to solve the issues in your inner world which keep you from real fulfillment, deep intimacy, freedom, and authenticity. Welcome to the next stage of your evolution. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Art of Attraction with Domini Drew. I'm so glad that you joined me today. Much appreciated. I have a great show lined up for you today. If you've been following the last few episodes, I'm working through these five personality patterns, these five survival patterns that uh, dictate, based on our past human experiences, dictate how we respond defensively when we feel threatened. And through these defenses, we can see it's like a doorway into our subconscious self-sabotage, right? These are the ways that we're reacting automatically without even realizing um, what is going on. And so once they become conscious, your whole, you know, your, your shit just all shifts. So I'm your host, Domini Drew. Um, this is my podcast, The Art of Attraction. I am just in love with this space, you guys. I love that I can share with you what I've learned over the last 15 years. You know, I specialize in showing people how they're um, how they're screwing themselves, <laughs> essentially, without even meaning to, right? It's just, it's like the subconscious self-sabotage. It's how we trip ourselves up, how we work against ourselves. And it explains literally just like every single thing that, of, of why we don't have what we have, you know, what we want, excuse me, right? And so um, when all this stuff starts to come to light and starts to become more conscious, it's, it's so powerful, Right. So I've done this work myself for about 15 years and I'm completely different than when I started. I don't look the way I used to. I don't move the way I used to. My walk, my gait has changed. My physical body has changed enormously. Um, the way people react to me has changed. The way um, people want to engage with me, shit like that. And this has all come from studying these five personality patterns. Well, Really, when in the, the the method that I learned, they were called character structures, and it doesn't matter; they're literally exactly the same. But what happened was uh, a few months ago, I was shown this book, right, and it's called The Five Personality Patterns, and it's by Stephen Kessler, and um, it's uh, and and it, and in it is written down all of these things that I've learned over the last you know fifteen years, um, and so it's very much along the uh, methods that I studied. And as I was reading this book, I was like, holy shit, I could write, I could have written this book, right? And I don't, I don't mean that to say in an arrogant way. I just mean it's exactly the, exactly what I learned. And in doing this work for 15 years, it's exactly what I've seen to be true continuously for these 15 years. 
So it's a fantastic model. I've seen it work thousands of times. I've never seen it not work. It's it's solid, right? And in general, I try not to bring stuff to you guys in the form of this podcast or what the fuck ever, um, certainly not via my coaching that I haven't um, known, actually known to be true, right? So this shit isn't my opinion. Um, it's not like, oh, based on the life experiences I've had, because my life experiences are limited, right? It's interesting, actually, because there's a, a big trend in the world today that um, I, I don't quite understand. I'm not against it. I just don't quite understand it, where there's immense value in people telling their stories. And there is, because when some when one person does that, um, it shifts other people's perspective. They can see more from, from that person's perspective. Um, but I'm not talking about, you know, like a you know, someone who grew up being a child soldier in Rwanda and then they write a book and a bunch of white people read it and they're like, oh shit, that must have been what it was like to be in Rwanda. That's that's an interesting experience. It's sort of a way that humans tend to relate just by hearing what this woman has gone through, this person has gone through, All right? So books will be written in like a, you know, well, here's here's what I've concluded based on what I've seen. And, and for me, for me, that's not enough. It's interesting. It's one piece of the puzzle, but for me, it's not quite enough. I want to know the answer, essentially. Now, we are in the realm of spirituality, so obviously there's, you know, there are multiple things. I know that for a fact to be true, that there are multiple things can be true, even if they're contradictory at the exact same time, right? So that's fine. Um, and yet there are universal truths, and and opinion and life experience can give you a sliver of them, but I don't really want a sliver. I want like the whole fucking story, you know? I'm the one, I'm one of those people who just like, no, I just want to know where, you know, where my system wants to go. Oh, into alignment? Is that where I'm, and my natural state is effortlessness? Uh, my natural state is joy? Oh, okay. In that case, I'm going to look for more of that, bring that into my life, right? So, and you may have a different opinion. This is, this is just mine. Um, but that's sort of my, my, my opinion on opinions. To me, opinions don't really exist, right? They can be changed like that. They don't have substance in the world. They don't have matter. Um, they don't actually matter. Um, you may act on your opinions and that will create a change in the world, but your opinion is not really relevant. <laughs> it's not, neither is mine. Opinions aren't really things that exist is sort of how I see it. Um, and actually, I that was sort of brought to light in a very, it's something that I'd felt for a long time, but it was uh, put into words very beautifully by a man named Sadhguru, um, who my mother follows um, very strongly, and he is an, an, an enlightened being um, in, incarnated right now. Um, I'm a total badass, but I'm not uh, fully <laughs> awakened and still in the human state. I've had moments, even months and years, where I've experienced a, a semi-version of that. But he's like, you know, he's he's on a, a different level, um, an achievable level, um, but a, a different one from where I speak. And he and he said something about. I wish I could remember the the, the phrase, but something around how um, how opinions are are useless. They they literally don't mean anything. And as that was sort of crystallized into that statement, I realized how accurate that was. Um, they cause people to to fight, and it's like, well, I th I think this, and I think that other thing. It's like, uh, okay, why do we need to? Why are we fighting though? Right? Um, that thing that you have a red opinion on, and I have a green opinion on, is just a thing. It is what it is. Right? you can be arguing for it and I can be arguing against it, but it, it is what it is. And so there's a way in which we get sort of 
caught up in what we think. Well, here's who I am because it's what I think. Well, what you think are thoughts. Thoughts can change. Opinions can change. In fact, you read one book from a child soldier in Rwanda and suddenly your opinions change pretty, pretty significantly um, because you're learning something that you haven't learned before. So let's go ahead and dive right into the merging pattern. This is really interesting. So, so what we did is we've got these five personality patterns. I am going to be um, bringing it right from this book because I, it's just, it's so, it, you know, it, it, it's a good book. It's great. I recommend it. Um, and so the merging pattern. So the merging pattern is the second of the five personality patterns. And by second, what I mean is it, um, it comes from a trauma that is the second earliest that you can have. So last week we studied the leaving pattern and the leaving pattern or the schizoid, as I was, as I learned, um, it, that wounding happens around a traumatic birth or pregnancy. So it's very, very young. It's before you're even a thing, right? I mean, you're a thing, but you're not your own thing. And so if your wounding happens around then, then you tend to have the schizoid wounding, the leaving pattern wounding. And, uh, and I'm also coming to you guys live on Facebook Live. Hi, everybody. Good to see you. Feel free to ask your questions and I will answer them as I go through. Um, the second pattern is the merging pattern, or as I learned it, the oral, okay? And the oral characterology is formed when there's a wounding around getting enough nourishment, okay? It's around breastfeeding. Okay. And, you know, when we, when we talk about trauma in childhood, keep in mind that we're not necessarily talking about, um, you know, a, a huge, you know, abandonment or neglect or abuse, right? Although those obviously can certainly be woundings. It could just be as simple as your mother was really busy and you were breastfeeding and she didn't have time to finish, to let you finish. There wasn't enough time for you to finish. Maybe she just had an appointment and it happened once, or maybe it happened all the time. But if, if you're the type of person who is really sensitive to that, then even just that small um, refusal to have enough time to, to eat, to get enough, that leaves its mark, okay? And so you kind of don't finish that, that version of um, what your, your uh, healthy human being does, develops in that time period. And so you develop an underlying belief that you're not enough, that there isn't enough. And when you do that, you then start to spend your life, when you feel overwhelmed or threatened, trying to fill yourself up, trying to fix the fact that you're not enough. But because you hold that underlying belief that you're not enough, you never can. So who are these people? These people are the people who, um, have you ever heard people described as like vampire eyes or vacuum cleaner eyes? Um, they tend to be people who, who suck energy, who pull energy, okay? Now, it's not going to actually hurt you because people are pulling on your energy or pushing on it all the time. That's, that's, that's not uh, a crisis, right? But it is a, a pattern and you may really enjoy being around these people or you may really not enjoy being around these people. But they do tend to always be pulling because they're pulling the energy away from you and adding it to themselves to try and fix the fact that they're not enough. Obviously, that doesn't end up working. So let's see. Uh, let's see what we... Oh, and he's got exercise in here too, which is great. Awesome. Okay, so the origins of the merging, pa merging pattern. 
So there are many routes that an individual child may follow in adapting a particular survival pattern. I'm reading from the book now. As the needs of the child interact with her situation, she will find her own unique path. So generalizations are only generally accurate. That's, of course, true for everything. The merging pattern usually forms during the time of nursing, the time that Freud called the oral stage of development, when the infant is totally dependent on her mother and caregivers and is mostly a bundle of needs, okay? At this age, there's almost nothing she can do for herself. You have to do it for me, is her reality, and her very survival depends on receiving from others. So keep in mind, when these uh, traumas happen, they're because we believe that our survival has been threatened. So even though it's just a doctor's appointment and you just can't finish nursing, but you can in an hour, that doesn't matter because in that moment, that kid might go, oh my God, my knees aren't going to be met. I'm going to die. And in that realization, they make a decision, which we're going to come to next. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. We make a decision that ensures that that's never going to happen again. They're never that vulnerable facing death again. Okay. As soon as the infant is born, She needs nourishment. She needs to receive food and love from others. Taking in milk and love gives her a sense of being filled. There is a sequence of needing, receiving, and filling that the infant's body is instinctively programmed to to expect. The wound that creates the merging pattern arises from an inability to complete this sequence. When it's working optimally, the sequence goes like this. The infant experiences an internal need or distress and cries out for help. She receives soothing or nourishment or love until her body feels full, and then she relaxes into happy contentment. So you can see how there's the need and the filling, the complete filling of the need. The process doesn't have to be perfect. It only has to be good enough for that particular infant, so there's variation here, to complete the sequence and return to a state of relaxed contentment. Then the infant experiences this. I need, then I ask, then I receive, then I feel full and happy. Okay? In real life, he says, it often looks more like this. The infant becomes distressed. She fusses or cries. Her mother holds her or nurses her. She feels the milk and or the love energy flowing easily into her body. Her body drinks it in until she feels full. And then her nervous system relaxes back back down into the ground state. And so she stops sucking. And then her need is completely satisfied. She may even push away, more interested now in separation and autonomy than in merging and filling. Notice the use of the word merging here, right? No, this is now, uh, Curtis, questions on the Facebook Live. Um, I went over this in one episode where I went over everything, uh, all five of them, but now we're diving into the merging pattern. So. For the child who adopts the merging defense, however, whatever happened was not good enough. Notice the phrase. She did not arrive often enough at feeling full and happy. Instead of feeling full and pushing herself away, which is the healthy growth, right? She repeatedly experienced difficulty filling and then lost the source of nourishment without feeling full. Instead of feeling satisfied, she wound up feeling deprived and abandoned. So you can see how this starts to form without any intention, without any bad parenting. So parents out there, don't worry about wounding your kids. You're going to, okay? Don't worry about the fact that you're going to. They literally incarnated with you to experience that. So all of as it should be, okay? 
So for her, the girl who didn't get enough, the sequence became, I need, then I ask, then something bad happens, then I feel worse. Okay, so the child who has the trauma, this particular trauma, that's what she experiences. Um, Here he says, different circumstances might lead to this. Mother might be ill, exhausted, terrified, overwhelmed, too busy with other children. Um, She may not be able to produce milk. She might be too anxious to wait until the child finishes. Or she may have been taught to ignore the baby's cries and feed her only according to a schedule. (laughs) I didn't know that. Oh, that's great. That's the third thing I found in this book. I don't know. Um, or she might even leave or die during the child's first year. So again, this isn't about blame of the parents. Yeah, this is, this is inevitable. It's just important to understand. Then you understand how you work. Then you understand how you need to work in order to form the life that you want. And now you're living an intentional life instead of a life by default. Uh, it also says another interesting thing I hadn't thought of is the, this says the infant herself may be unable to nurse or digest the mother's milk for some reason, right? She might be lactose intolerant or unable to digest formula, whatever the cause, um, needing led to feeling empty and helpless. Okay. So when her need is not fully satisfied, the infant's nervous system cannot fully relax back down to the ground state, but instead stays somewhat aroused and anxious. If you guys uh, remember the episode we just did on the leaving pattern, the same thing happens with the schizoid, with the lever, okay? You, you're, you're not calmed and comforted. And really, that's about safety. The fact of the matter is we have defenses up to protect us because we believe we're not safe. When a person feels safe, there's no need to defend. Yeah? It's just effort. Defend against what? I'm fine. Right? No need. That's why there's a difference between, um, you know, drawing a boundary and like forcefully and then just being like, no, I don't think so. Right? One is like, I have to do this. And if I don't set a boundary, then people aren't going to, and that's better than not having boundaries. Right. I grew up with just about zero boundaries, actually, really, realistically. And I had to build mine brick by brick through this work, through studying this work. And so as I did so, um, my boundaries, I got, okay, well, hold on. My boundaries became rather rigid, which is the fifth personality pattern. And that's okay because the, the pendulum was swinging. Right. And so I needed to know that I could, um, that I could hold them. And then once I realized I could hold them, I didn't need to put force behind it. I was just like, yeah, I don't think I want to go to the party. Thanks, though. I love you. Or, yeah, and you're like, oh, do you like my husband? Uh, you know, I'm going to be honest. I, I really don't. But I love you. And I love that you're happy. And I'm perfectly happy to spend time with him. You know, or whatever the truth is. But I can just stand in the truth instead of needing to feel that I need to justify it in some way. So the residual anxiety interferes with her ability to take in and digest nourishment the next time and a self-reinforcing cycle develops. She develops an attitude of anxious expectation regarding her needs and the world. So this is about needs, okay? He adds here, emotional deprivation can have the same effect. If the child is very heart-centered and needs to feel loved in each moment, but her parents withdraw their heart connection whenever they are displeased or just busy with something else, the child feels emotionally abandoned and deprived of the love she needs. This loss is devastating and she will begin to organize herself around ways to get and maintain the heart connection she needs. Whatever the cause, the baby's repeated experience is that she doesn't get enough. Okay? So, 
there is the underlying belief. Now, when she feels threatened, when she's like, oh my God, my life's not going to be thrilled, not going to be, uh, my needs aren't going to be fulfilled, excuse me. And I'm talking about the adult now, okay? Here's what she does. This is the defensive action. Because she feels so empty and needy, this child puts her attention on others and on trying to get them to fill her up, okay? So she's disconnected from herself. Her focus is on others now instead of self. And she's trying, and now there's pressure on them to fill her up. The only thing she knows how to do is to plug into others energetically and try to drink from their bodies. Remember, I opened by saying that they pull energetically, they're trying to fill themselves up. This is what he's talking about. In order to mute the feelings of emptiness and longing inside her, she learns to abandon herself, that is, to shift her attention away from the core of her body. There's what I just pointed out where these difficult feelings are strongest. She learns to habitually avoid referencing herself and instead focus on referencing others, right? It's easier there because there's less risk, less need. Notice that the defensive action here is not to withdraw attention from the body itself as the leaving patterned person does. Rather, it's to withdraw attention from the core of the body where the felt sense of self develops, and instead put that attention on maintaining the connection to others. The defensive action here is to abandon self in the search for love. I felt tears coming up when I read this. I'm just going to read that part again. Notice that the defensive action here is not to withdraw attention from the body itself, as the leaving patterned person does, but rather to withdraw attention from the core of the body where the felt sense of self develops and instead put that attention on maintaining the connection to others. The defensive action here is to abandon self in the search for love. So I'm noticing... And this is interesting. I'm, I'm learning. I'm having awareness about myself in this moment because that's something that I did for years. That, is, that was my go-to defense um, around, uh, I would rather, I, I need you to love me, right? That was sort of my underlying like statement of, because my, my parents got divorced when I was young and everybody kind of left. You know, my brother and siblings went off to school. My mom left emotionally. My dad left actually. And so, not actually, left physically. Um, and I just, and I knew instinctively, and, and loving is a core quality of mine. I'm a very loving person. That's, that's something that comes easily for me. And so what do we do with our strengths? We distort them as defenses. And so I needed people to love me. I knew that if, I, if my mom loved me, she would take care of me and that would guarantee my survival. But if I didn't, if she didn't, that I would be abandoned. And so I would often, often, disconnect from myself and, uh, and focus on the relationship with others. Um, what's interesting and the kind of realization I'm having now is I'd never really connected that with the oral characterology before. So the way he's saying this, and I haven't read this yet, by the way. Um, uh, I mean, I read enough of the book to know that he's, you know, he, he teaches what I teach, but I haven't heard his version of it um, specifically. And so uh, and so it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm adventuring on this, going on this adventure with you. Um, 
so to, to abandon self in the search for love. So I'm, I'm realizing that I may have had more orality when I was young um, in my system than I realized. Um, for me, it was always the uh, character defense that I connected with the least, actually. Um, but we all do all of them, right? So all, per, all five we, we use, you know, based on the situation, but we tend to have favorites. So this wasn't one that I thought was my favorite, but hey, my, I might have been wrong about that. So here's the results of the defensive action. This habit of abandoning the self to focus on others has major consequences for the child. Without referencing her own core, she is unable to perceive her own feelings and needs. This makes it difficult for her to discover and define herself through her own feelings and needs. <laughs> referencing others tends to fill her body with their feelings and needs, so most of the feelings in her body are not her own feelings but ones imported from others. I'm noticing emotion come up as I'm reading this. This is very confusing and makes it nearly impossible for her to sort out what is me from what is not me and then use the me to form a strong sense of self. That is something I experienced almost incessantly for most of my life. And I was, um, I was, enmeshed with my mother. So she would tell me what I wanted and what I needed. And on her end, she's very clear. She has the more the rigid character structure and they tend to be very clear and I was not very clear. However, the, um, the character structure that I've always identified most is the one that I was going to go into next, which is uh, next week, excuse me, which is like the, he calls it the uh, enduring pattern I learned as the masochistic. And they tend to be very unclear. Um, and so I had a lot of that and I always assumed that's why it was, but I'm, I'm noticing here we are in the present moment, noticing what's here, getting a little vulnerable with you guys. Um, I'm noticing this uh, emotion come up at these words. So I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to watch my reactions. And if you guys don't mind hanging with me, then I will just point them out as, I, as they flow for me. So it's very confusing and makes it nearly impossible for her to sort out what is me and what is not me. The habit of other referencing instead of self-referencing means that she, when she asks herself, what do I want? The response she gets from inside herself will be mostly other people's thoughts and feelings, not her own. Yep, that was me. But she will not realize this. Since these imported thoughts and feelings make up most of what she experiences, she will think they are her own thoughts and feelings, and she will act on them thinking she is being herself, when in fact she is being who the people around her want to be. Yep. That was me. <laughs> From an early age, she will become very skillful at pleasing others by being who they want her to be, but woefully inept at pleasing herself or even knowing herself. Damn, you guys, I can't even tell you how true that feels for me. It, it's interesting because I, I never really let myself... Um, I never really let myself uh, need a lot, which is probably why I didn't recognize it. And I imagine he's going to go into the compensated merging pattern, which is um, 
uh, probably what I was doing where you shut down your needs rather than have any at all, right? And it's still defensive. It's just as defensive as um, as it would be, you know, as, as when you're needing all the time, right? It's not, it's certainly not better. Um, but it is a, a different, um, it is a different uh, approach to the defense, right? The attitude of anxious expectation also has consequences. As mentioned above, it inhibits the process of receiving. The chronic fear and tension in her body make it harder for her to take in and metabolize the love and nourishment that are available. That was something I remember I had to learn how to do brick by brick as well. Um, I had to to learn to receive. You know, and you know, one of the the places you can see this the most is around sex, actually. If you're um, a woman who's not comfortable with a guy going down on her or gets self-conscious, right? Um, or, you know, you sort of just, you want to you wanna give, right? Because giving is safer. People like you more if you give, right? But if you sit and receive, at least that's how it felt for me, is like it would, oh, well, then, I mean, none of it was as conscious. I just felt, oh, I don't want you to do that. Um, but not because I didn't enjoy it. I just didn't. Um, I think I, I felt self-conscious, I think. Um, and under that, I imagine, I'm saying this from my, from my brain, but uh, it's, it's in there, I think. Um, uh, a real um, refusal to take in. Um, because if I, you know, rely on you to take in, then at some point you might stop and then, you know, then I'm, I'm screwed. So I'd rather just, there it is. So there's the compensated oral right there. Well, I'm not going to risk not having my needs fulfilled. There's the saying no to life. And instead, I'm going to um, refuse to need you and I, I'm just going to do it myself. I would just rather do it myself. And in, in many ways, I'm still that way. Which, And I probably went to the compensated oral because uh, I'm highly competent. I'm just a highly competent being. If you drop me in the middle of a strange place, I will figure it out, you know? Um, but, you know, but, but that's not the reality of the moment, you know? The fact of the matter is you have a need. Are you going to let it be fulfilled or are you not? Her fixation on getting energy only from others doesn't allow her to move on developmentally, establish her own direct connection with the earth, grounding, and learn how to take in and metabolize her own energy directly from the environment. This leaves her without a way to get enough energy for herself. It leaves her stuck in the experience of not having enough and not being enough. Without energy flowing, without enough energy flowing through her, she tends to easily get tired, discouraged, and depressed. That was me for many years. <laughs> All of them, in fact, exhaustion was um, was something I experienced from a, a young age. It's like I'm just tired all the time. And so then she tries to get more energy, but of course, the way she goes about it only makes things worse. Uh, since she's stuck in the nursing stage, the only method she knows is to get it from someone else's body. So she energetically plugs into someone near her and starts sucking. 
Again, if the idea of this is freaking you out, people have been doing this around you your whole life, so don't worry about it. <laughs> it's already something that you've, you've experienced. It's not going to hurt you. There's not a, you know, you're not going to run out of energy. That's not a thing, okay? It may just feel annoying. For me, when I'm around oral people, I get really irritated. I'm like, I'm like stop it. Stop, pull, stop pulling on me. Stop it. Leave me alone. <laughs> so I react, I react negatively. But also, I never did this part of it, right? I never sucked on people because that would require you know, letting yourself get, f- get filled up, right? I was, I was the compensated. I was like, I have no needs, right? I shut my needs down rather than become this person. So with this trauma, with this particular um, issue re- developmentally around nourishment when you were young, um, there's, uh, there's uh, two different ways people can go. You can go into the defense. Oh my God, I need, I need, I need it endlessly or I don't need it at all. And I happen to, I happen to go the latter. <laughs> If she plugs into you and you are energetically perceptive, you may be able to feel exactly where on your body she has plugged in. And you may actually feel a pulling sensation as you are being drained. If you're like most people, you will only notice that you feel tired of being around her. You may become annoyed or angry. There we go. And your mind will find some reason to get away from her. When you leave, she will naturally feel abandoned. So if you'll notice the tonality of my voice, right? So that I, it was very vulnerable for a minute there because it was resonating with me. Here, you can see this part wasn't my, my way. That wasn't my defense. Can you hear my voice is stronger? I'm not triggered. I mean, it wasn't, uh, triggered's not quite the, quite the right word for what was happening before, but I was moved. I was being very deeply touched because I was hearing uh, some, uh, it was describing my experience of life, right? With the disconnecting from self and connecting to others instead. Now you can hear I'm back in my power, right? I'm back at my full age. I'm like in the here and now because he's no longer describing my experience. So I'm just pointing out what I'm going through so you guys can learn to recognize it. So when you leave, she will naturally feel abandoned. And while it is true that you left her, she's completely unaware of how she contributed to your decision to leave. Okay, so merging pattern people typically conclude that it is their neediness that leads to being rejected and abandoned not their attempts to siphon off other people's energy. Although I would kind of call that the same, the same thing. Okay. So let's go into let's go into oh, well, let's go into the compensating merging pattern. Okay, this might make me emotional again, so full disclosure. So far, we've seen that the survival strategy of merging patterned people is to avoid a clear awareness of their own core, identify with their neediness, and try to get what they need from others. This is a description of the merging pattern in its pure form, and up till now, this is what we've been discussing. However, for some children, this strategy was not enough. I can feel it happening already. (laughs) So this is interesting. This is a different journey than we normally go on in this podcast. I'm normally just teaching. And here you're seeing um, the process really, no, not the process, like the process I teach. I teach people to to see these and find these and feel them um, consciously in their body so that they can know why they're pushing people away. Why do people always abandon me? Because of this because of this. It's because of you. Nothing wrong with you, but it's because of you. You're doing a thing that's pushing people away and you don't realize it, right? So here, so it's not like it's it's the process, but you're seeing um, how this can resonate, right? 
However, for some children, this strategy was not enough. Perhaps they could not stand feeling so needy. That might have been me. Or perhaps in their family, having needs was shamed. Oh, that's also me. While helping others was praised. Eh, sort of. They may have been told, don't be so selfish. Take care of your brothers and sisters. In church, they may have been taught it's more blessed to give than to receive. So they developed an additional layer of defense against their neediness by shifting from playing the infant to playing the mother. Whew. Yep, that's me all over. All right. The child is still caught in the infant-mother relationship, but now, instead of being the helpless, needy baby, she can be the helpful, giving mother. I am vastly more comfortable playing the latter role than the former. (laughs) Okay. Rather than denying or condemning her troublesome needs, she simply projects those needs onto someone else. Now, instead of feeling that she needs something, she feels that you need something. So that's in there. Her conscious experience shifts from I need you to give to me to I can give to you. Now she can feel big and strong instead of small and needy. Okay, so that's about halfway resonating with me. The way I learned was slightly different, and he may come around to this in a minute here. The way I learned was it's more like you really shut your needs off. I refuse to, I have no needs. I'm fine. Everything's great. I have no needs. And that is very much the, the approach that I took. Although I do prefer to be the teacher, you know, um, you know, even I mean, since transparency seems to be the theme of today, um, I'll, I'll just share as well when emotions started coming up in me earlier. And I feel it now just as I'm starting to speak, as I was experiencing that, I, uh, I, I didn't shut it down, but I noticed a little like, oh, I don't really want to do this live on the air with 30,000 people listening. <laughs> I don't want to talk about my issues in front of 30,000 people. And I've done it in groups. I've done it in big groups of like probably 100. Um, But there was a safe space, a container there. I was sure of the container. Another, actually, defense that I had since childhood was if I couldn't feel safe in the container, I would really just kind of shut it down. You know, I would really just kind of... um, Yeah, I would open, but only if I could feel that I was being held right? And that may not sound like a defense. It is a defense because really I could be my own container and I'm, I could know that I'm safe regardless of the container. But because when I was seven, my container broke, my family broke, cracked open. Um, and I was like, what, 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 what just happened? It's like the, the rug got pulled out from underneath me, you know? And so as a result, I started not trusting the container and here we are bringing this around to trust. So anyway, so I'm relating that to my, my um, it's not even quite resistance. It felt more like a shadow of what used to be, but it used to be I would never, I would just push that emotion away and been like another time because I'd rather be the healer than, the, um, than the, the needy person, right? I'd rather be, I'm a naturally a gifted healer. That is my skill set. That's what I incarnated for. And I'm fucking amazing at it. And what's true about things we're fucking amazing at? We turn around and use them as defenses. <laughs> so here, let me heal you so I don't have to look at my own shit. Um, And that's extremely common. You know, you'll see uh, gurus or like, you know, masters who, you know, end up having, what do they have? Like the whole, you know, um, you know, sex trafficking things that they're ashrams or they're raging alcoholics or they're branding people. I mean, it's just like, you know, (laughs) these people who who teach, you know, tend not to do their own work. Now, for me, that's not quite accurate because I dove in like super, I was super excited to do my own work. Like as soon as I saw 
that I would be bullshitting myself in one way. I just turned right to it and I wanted to deal with it and like almost almost too much. Like I almost, <laughs> one of my teachers said that I developed an addiction to process work at one point. <laughs> and I was like, what? Is that a thing? What? <laughs> but she wasn't wrong, you know? Rather than just being, being, uh, I use the term fixed. Um, and obviously it's, it's inaccurate sort of in this way, but I, you, to allow yourself to be without the issue rather than always kind of looking for the next one. And I was always kind of looking for the next one at a period of, in my growth. So there you can see again, my comfort being the, being the teacher rather than, than being the, the, the student in this, in this moment or being vulnerable, I would say open. So can't believe I'm talking about this on air. All right. Uh, instead uh, so as the giver, she no longer, God, here we are, <laughs> Jesus. I really should read this shit before I read it to you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in these situations, but this is the real shit. So I want to share this with you. As the giver, she no longer experiences herself as deprived and needy. So there we are, right? As, as long as I'm the teacher, I don't, I don't have to address this issue. That's where it's defensive. Not that I'm a teacher. I am absolutely a teacher. I am incredibly gifted as a teacher, right? And a lot of people can't do that. I can't do a lot of other things, but that's my thing, right? And then here, this defensive little corner of it of, oh, well, if I'm the teacher, then I don't, you know, I, I can avoid this issue. So there, the core quality you see surface as the defense. Instead, she experiences others as deprived and needy and herself as the one who can fill those needs. It is not she who is dependent, but someone else. Since this new state is a way of compensating for the deprivation experience in the merging pattern, she, it is called the compensated merging pattern. In psychology, this strategy has long been referred to as the codependent personality, in which the helper's attention is not grounded in herself, but focused on the person she is helping. So, ah, here we go. Because her giving is serving a defensive function in this way, it differs from simple generosity. To, to maintain a compensation, this person needs to keep giving to someone. So she finds situations where she can play the caregiver role, such as nursing, childcare, working at a homeless shelter. Instead of hoping someone will save her, she makes it her business to save others. So, okay, here we go. And since the impulse to give is not fueled so much by the other's need as by her own need to be the giver, the giving inevitably goes too far. The person playing the giver feels overly responsible for keeping everyone else happy, gives more than she can afford, and drains herself dry. She may be, she may be providing a truly wonderful service to others, but her service is not supported by good self-care. She is ignoring her own needs even more strenuously than a person in the pure mer merging pattern. This makes it very difficult for her to ask for help or even to accept help when that's offered, which of course would mean she would need to receive. So I see this a lot in healers, actually. Um, the healers who tend to, um, you know, they're, they're more comfortable, you know, they, they describe themselves as, um, as wanting to, uh, to, you know, to give and it's all about the other person. And like, I don't need, you know, I'm, I don't know where the sort of defense kind of comes from uh, in the moment as far as in their minds. Um, like, I'm just going to work really hard and I'm going to be better. Um, this is something that I experienced very early on. So let's see, I was in college. So I was probably about 20. So I'd actually just started this work and I remember coming up against what he just talked about. So you'll notice my voice has been strong this whole time, right? So this is an issue that for me, 
literally does not exist anymore. Okay. You can tell because there's no, um, there's no waiver in my voice, right? There's no emotion here. There's no charge behind this. I can talk about it all day long. It doesn't matter to me, right? Whereas before there was some emotion, right? So you're, you're sort of getting to see this live. So So I'll share an experience with you. I I was always, so I I said I I was, I'm here to be a healer and a teacher, right? That is, that is accurate. And by here, I mean the planet. So that's a core quality. I've had that since inception. Um, And as a result, people, people can feel that, right? And so I was always the kid people would come to with their problems. And I mean kid, like even when I was young, people would come to me with their issues and I would just, I don't know, I guess I would listen. I would do something. Something drew them to me. Something still draws people to me. It's why they seek healing from me. And it's been, it's, it's why I formed the business that I formed because there's something about me that's um, inviting and safe and tells you that I'm not judging you and I don't have any agenda for you to be any other way and whatever you say is fine, right? So I formed the business around that skill set. However, gift, not skill (laughs) set. That's just raw gift. So, so great. So throughout my teenage years, I was always the one who would, people would go to for help or um, I'd be like, hey, how can I help you? I'm doing this compensated merging thing, right? God, yeah, I'm realizing that. I didn't know that was there. Cool. So, um, so and I, I remember in, in college, this happened very, very clearly. Um, I had some, some friend, like we weren't like wildly close, but we had a friend and he was in, you know, conflict of some kind, right? Some sort of drama. And I went and we were sitting in, I don't know, maybe his dorm room or something. And we're sort of sitting on the bed and I'm facing him and I'm like nodding and listening. He's just telling me. And I'm, I suddenly had the visual actually, just like one of those moments where you see energy, right? And of of him just like taking it and just dumping it all on me, right? And that's what I wanted. That's what I was asking for. I was like, yeah, just talk to me about it. Like, I've got you, you know, oh my God. <laughs> and so he, and so he did. He just unloaded it all on me and he felt so much better afterwards. And I felt like shit, Kel Surprise, right? If that's actually what's happening. So I thought I was helping. But here's the thing. I didn't solve his problem by taking his pain in that moment. That doesn't solve someone's problems. I don't ever take my client's pain. It's not mine to take. That is neither my job nor my right to do because you incarnated with your issue. And that's a very sacred thing. And for me to assume that you don't need that anymore and to take it from you is ridiculous. Okay. I don't know your path. Nobody knows your path better than you do, unless they have some insight into, uh, you know, into your, into your team of, 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 of light workers or your, you know, your, um, deeper, your, your deeper energetic, uh, um, intention and few humans on the, on the planet can actually really do that accurately. So just, just know that. Um, so so I don't ever take it. And the reason is because that didn't solve his problem that day. It just made him feel better temporarily. I just took it for a minute. I gave him some relief. And in a certain situation, that might be useful, but this wasn't that situation. That was just the only way I knew how. I was a healer, but I didn't actually fucking know how to heal. 
You know, I just knew that's what I wanted to, to do. And my instinct said, oh, here, just open up and, and let him do his thing. And so he did. And so he felt better for a minute. It didn't in any way solve his, his problem long-term, as far as I'm aware of. I wouldn't imagine that it did. And I felt like crap. And I realized that if I kept doing that, I wouldn't be able to sustain the level of healing that I wanted to do. And so I realized that I had to, to, to change. And then as I went to school and I learned that I, that I can, you know, if people do that, I can just like, I can let it go in the moment and I can sort of transform it. And it's not, it's not something that, that I take on to my life, but I didn't know that at the time. So where was I going with that? So my giving wasn't exactly serving a defensive function in that way, but in essence, the result is kind of the same because he, um, because I, I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to fix it. Right. That's not my role. I don't do that now. I show people the way out of their own issues, but I don't push them to go. I'll hold their hand if they want company, but I don't, I don't push them to go. Okay. Um, I don't say that you should be going one direction or another. I don't tell you what you should do with your life. I just reflect back to you how what choices you're making now are creating what you have now, right? What's going on underneath the surface is is resulting in your life. So for example, I had a client um, who came to me a few weeks ago and he's like, man, women just reject me all the time. I don't know why. Uh, you know, every time something starts to happen, it just like falls and collapses and I'm just miserable. And so we we dropped into the body and we saw it was there and it turned out he's got an underlying belief that he's not good enough. And so that was commun- that was communicating every time, right? He could be like, I'm so wonderful. But if really on a much deeper level, he's saying I'm not good enough, then that's what she's gonna, she's actually, is actually gonna communicate, right? And so... Uh, and so that was the reason. Okay, so it's because you you have this belief that you are then getting the results that you're getting. You don't need to change that belief. I didn't tell him to change it. I just said, okay, well, here's A and it's leading to L, just so you know. And then if he wants to shift it, he'll come back to me and he'll say, hey, I really want to shift that. And I go, great, here's how. Can you see the difference? The difference is I'm not taking responsibility for his healing path. I cannot do that. That's not true. I can uh, it's, it's, it's not, it's not useful. It is neither my job nor my right to take pain from another human being. If I am called to hold space, if it lights me up with joy to hold space for another on their healing journey, and it does often, then that is what I need to do. But I'm not taking, I'm not taking responsibility, right? To do that would be to dishonor them and to dishonor myself, and I wouldn't last as a healer. So you can see how I've come out of this pattern, but how it very much was there before. So, so what I'd like to do is to um, skip to the end here and take a look at what you can do, okay? So signs that you're in the merging pattern. Um, If you experience collapse, okay, 
if you have no felt sense of your own core, no like real strong knowing this is who I am. I know who I am. There's a flavor. There's an experience. There's a feeling. That's who I am, right? If you don't have that, that is partially emerging pattern. If you're referencing only the feelings and needs of others at the expense of your own, that's merging pattern. And if you are trying to be all things to all people, oh man, <laughs> see that that hits home now because I do that in my business. <laughs> because this work can literally solve any problem. So it makes this business really difficult to market because I have to just choose someone. I just have to choose someone to work with. <laughs> Can't believe, I've never said any of this publicly, but uh, here we are. I'm, I'm following the flow here. I'm trusting. Um, but it, it really has been quite difficult. So up until now, I've, I've helped single men attract life partners through personal and relationship coaching, right? And all I'm doing is showing them how they're self-sabotaging in their dating life. So if you've listened to a lot of episodes of the show, you've probably heard me say, I, I work in self-sabotage. Oh, I work in dating. Oh, I work with men. It, the dating in men is just a niche. I just chose it for, for business purposes. So I had somewhere to direct my message. But really, this work is, 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 that, you know, there's, there's kind of almost nothing that it can't solve because the way the human structure is set up, you're able to achieve what, whatever you want to actually. The only reason you're not achieving is because you have beliefs in the way. And I'm trained to remove, uh, to, to show you how, excuse me, to remove those beliefs from your system so you can accomplish what you want. So whatever your problem is, this is the problem to fix it. And as a result, marketing has been really difficult. It's been a real challenge for me. What is that statement that I just read that just read so, you're trying to be all things to all people. That's it. So when I, I gave that up, when I really formed this business and niched down to single men, and then just in the last couple of um, months, really, I've been doing this business for about two and a half years. I've been doing the work for 15, but the, the business with the single men and, and online and the group structure and things like that for just a couple of years. And now I can feel it shifting, but I don't see the direction that it wants to go yet. But I can tell it wants to get more general. I want to work with women. I want to work with more issues than just, um, than just uh, attraction and dating. Although those are still, you know, major favorites of mine. So um, I don't know. There's intentionality behind my words. I don't actually know what it is. Um, but I just wanted to let you know, I do, I do resonate with that. Um, and if you do, then uh, I feel you. <laughs> I really feel you. Um, and so the solution to that, um, I'm trying to be all things to all people, uh, you can't reference yourself, you're collapsed, is to find your core and reference it, connect to it. Okay. The, uh, here, okay, we're about to go into this. I was just about to say the, the healing response to the oral character is to fill yourself up. I am enough is the statement, right? Think how different the world would be if everyone truly knew that they were enough. <laughs> Notice that breath there. <laughs> so when you can fill yourself up with your own light, with your own sense of self, when you can connect to your core, then you don't feel like you're not enough anymore. You know that you are. So here he says, to get out of the merging pattern, shift your attention from others and their needs to sensing your own core and your own feelings and needs. Here's an exercise. Get up and stand on your own two feet. I like the phrasing there, your own two feet. 
So you can see how he's he's giving the healing response to, I'm not enough, I need you. You don't. Stand. Stand. Stand on your own weight. Stand in your own power. You are an adult now. And truly, you don't need others as much as you think you do. Yes, there's human need. Let's not worry about that now. Fact of the matter is, you can survive on your own. Survive. Right? Um, So get up and stand on your own two feet. Bend your knees and take a deep breath. Ground down into the earth. Notice that the earth likes you, even loves you. Notice that it wants to nourish and support you. Relax into that love. Allow the energy of the earth to flow up into you and fill you and support you. Say to yourself, I am enough. I can do this and I can ask for help. So that's the balanced place, yeah? Um, I'm enough. I can do this and I can ask for help. I can do this without anybody is actually not uh, the balanced place. The balanced place is I'm enough. And also, you know, sometimes I can, I can ask for help and it will come. Okay. So getting enough. So The boundaries of me and not me. Another skill needed by merging patterned people is that of creating healthy boundaries around themselves. So I mentioned earlier that I didn't have those at all in the beginning, right? This requires learning what a healthy boundary is, how to create it, and how to enforce it. It requires psychologically and energetically separating from others, which means giving up the habit of merging with others and practicing being a separate person instead. They also need practice differentiating what is me from what is not me. That is differentiating my feelings from your feelings and my responsibilities from your responsibilities. Merging patterned people need to develop all the basic energy skills, ground, core, edge, and me, not me. Those are, uh, those are his own, those are his own terms. When in the grip of the pattern, a merging pattern person experiences her own essence as not being enough. What she needs to discover is that, in fact, her essence is enough. Her human need is to experience herself as being able to fill and care for herself. Her spiritual need is to experience the divine source within, within filling and supporting her. By doing the work described above, the merging pattern person will develop a reality-based self-confidence. She will be able to take responsibility for her own actions, connect without merging, and tolerate being alone. So, so this has been an interesting journey. I'm grateful that you joined me on it. As you can see, you know, even after just years and years, massive. Um, massive amounts of of this work, there are still corners, right? And I I still have my, you know, the things that I work on normally, but this is something that I had really quite put to bed. Um, And here's another, a little bit, a little layer of it. 
right? And so that's really quite a beautiful thing. So I can integrate that knowledge now and I can feel it in my body and I can look for it around others. You know, his idea of merging, it's funny because when I read this, um, when I first saw this book and I read the first few chapters, I noticed that he called the oral um, the merging pattern. And I thought that's weird because to me, the masochistic is the one who merges, which we're going to go into next week. Um, and now I'm noticing that there, that disconnect from self, the, what I called the, the love mask of I'll be whoever you want to be. And like, you, you love me. Like this is going to, and people do. And when I'm not in the defense, people still love me. Remember, these are based on um, core quality. So I'm, all, I am someone who like can t- talk to anybody and people genuinely like really like me. I don't know. It's just, just, that's, that's a, that's a core quality of mine, right? Remember we all have different ones. So I, there's others, other areas where I, I struggle where you may not, but that's not one of them. And so then the defense of that is I'll be whatever you want me to be. Right. And so in doing that, you are, you're, you, there is a merging with the other person that you're with. And I'd never seen that defense that way. Um, so that's really exciting. I just learned something new. This is a new facet to the oral character. Um, I do, I, I am still feeling like the the compensated oral is, um, the way he's describing it is is not the way I experience it. So that means that there could be two different ways that the oral can compensate. Um, or again, I hadn't read that chapter before. I just brought it up to you guys now. So maybe if I look closer, they'll actually end up being the same. But, you know, maybe we're just experiencing the same thing two different ways, right? I was taught over eight years um, of schooling um, and, and both in different systems, but both, they, they both used these five personality patterns. Um, and so I'm, but you know, it's also been a, f- a few years, maybe more has been discovered. Maybe he's got a different take on it. So this work is always, um, fluid and it's always evolving. And the, the aim here is evolution, right? The more you can evolve, the more you can feel safe in your body, even through discomfort, the more you will be able to embody yourself and tolerate more and grow more and experience more life. And that is what leads to happiness. So thank you very much for joining me today. Um, this was a bit of an unusual episode. I'm really actually glad that it happened. It feels really intentional and nice. And thank you for sharing space with me. And um, yeah, please uh, follow me, subscribe. I'm begun doing guided meditations on a meditation app called Insight Timer. If you're interested, please join me uh, there and follow me there. And if you ever have questions or requests for things to me to cover on the podcast, don't hesitate to reach out on Facebook or contact me at dominiedrew.com. Thanks so much, guys. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Art of Attraction. This is Domini Drew signing off and reminding you that if you love this podcast, please hit that subscribe button, rate us five stars, and most importantly, share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. See you next time.